The Money Show. Shapeshifters. It must be 19 years ago when I placed a phone call to a person I thought was another person. And I had a huge story, and I had questions for SARS, and I placed a call in great excitement, and with my journalistic bloodlust running in my veins, I strolled through my phone, and I found F for Fani, and I phoned, and I got a voicemail, I was like, oh, come on, and I left a message saying, please, you've got to phone me back immediately, I've got something really important to ask you. And then about half an hour later, I get a call back, not from Fani Zulu, the SARS spokesman at the time, but from Fani Titi, who could have just ignored my blunder. He could just have gone, idiot, and put the phone down and ignored it. But he was very kind. Um, and he phoned me back to say, you've got the wrong Fani. Um, and he saved me hours. Because I would have sat stressing and fretting as to why Fani Zulu was not returning my calls. And I would have got very cross with Fani Zulu. But you, you managed to d- d- diffuse the situation. Um, and that was how the Dave King tax story <laughs> broke <laughs> in my kitchen um, on, on a Tuesday evening in, I think, 2000, in the year 2000. So thank you for returning that call. Good to be here, Bruce, and uh, thank you for the invitation. You have a good memory, obviously. Well, it was, it was a, my adrenaline actually flows when I think of that day. It was, it was a very significant day um, from, a, from a story point of view. Fani TT is the Joint Chief Executive at Investec. He was a non-executive director at Investec, but made a decision to go and take an executive role, which is incredibly unusual for somebody who's had a long and buried career in business and academia and other things to go into executive jobs. Usually, gentlemen of a certain age, ladies of a certain age, choose to go non-executive after the cut and thrust of a, uh, of a tough executive career. Why did you go the other way? A couple of observations. I uh, retired from full-time work at a fairly early age having been in my own businesses uh, for quite some time. Um, I have been a business owner for quite a long time. I still own some businesses even today and retired early and uh, committed my time to assisting um, Investec as a director and uh, became chairman of the board uh, of the bank in South Africa, later on chairman of uh, the board of the bank uh, in the UK and then chairman of the, uh, the board uh, of uh, the group. Um, and if uh, you know uh, anything about banking, which I'm sure you do, uh, there is nothing like a non-executive chairmanship of a bank. I mean, uh, that, so I spend four to five days a week. That's the point, though, um, isn't it? It literally yeah. is a full-time job. And I remember talking to people like Warren Clulo when he was the chairman um, of, of Ned Bank and, and, and subsequently um, also to the new head of the PIC, Royal mm-hmm. Kosa. Um, you have offices at banks. And non-executive directors generally keep an arm's-length relationship. But being the chairman of a bank is a hugely complex and responsible job. I mean, you were effectively, although non-executive, um, serving a full-time job. Essentially uh, full-time. And that was from around uh, 2008. Um, so having Your served- timing was terrible, by the way, because you arrived there as um, investing board Kensington Mortgages. Um, and Stephen Kosev to this day maintains it was never a subprime bank, but everybody else thought it was. So therefore, it, they, they treated investing like it had gone the, into the subprime. The was horrendous. Yeah. Um, came onto the board in 2003 and took the chairmanship around 2008. 
um, as it were. And the last 10, 11 years or so have been difficult, just unwinding the effects of yeah. the global financial crisis. Banking is uh, a complex business. Uh, it can be a risky business. Uh, that is why you need to be close to uh, the activity on a day-to-day basis. That is why, as chairman, one needed to spend as much time um, as I did at the time and as every other chairman uh, has to do. But most chairman of banks, that, that's their final job, really, before they go into retirement. You've now come out of retirement into the non-executive chairmanship and said, no, I want executive responsibility. I want to see whether I can make this bank better. Look, I'm, on, I'm 57 now, so I took the uh, full-time executive job at, uh, at 56, had retired at about uh, 46, which was uh, uh, way too young. So I had come to a point where I wanted to re-engage. In fact, I was looking to go into the private equity world, which is where I came from. And the opportunity to, uh, to lead investor came up. It wasn't really planned. It was a last-minute uh, decision that was taken by the board. And uh, banks are important organizations in any um, uh, community or economy. So I thought there was a a real opportunity uh, to make a difference and a contribution uh, by being part of the leadership of Investec. So I accepted the invitation uh, to serve as chief executive as unusual as the move uh, was at the time. It's about as far away as you can get from a farm near Winburg in the Free State where you were born and where you spent your, your early years. I mean, tell me about those early years of being a kid on a farm. You're born in the early 60s on a farm at the height of uh, apartheid oppression. Yeah. Um, and at the age of 12, uh, when I was in what is now grade 6, um, I uh, was supposed to go into the farm labor system permanently. And you've, done your primary, you've done your primary schooling on the farm. You've got what yeah. you need. Um, you can count. You can, you can add. You can maybe subtract. That's enough. Good. You've done, you've done your duty um, in Favurdian um, sort of education system. Yeah, that's right. So about three months before I went into the farm system, my dad had a fallout uh, with... Uh, uh, his boss at the time, and uh, generally in that area, he couldn't really get employed. And it was at the time that uh, African uh, people were being classified in terms of their tribes. So the southern Sutus were then uh, being shipped off to the homeland of the southern Sutus, which is Kwakwa. Ah, so quite. that's where I ended up. So literally, uh, that was... Uh, uh, a change in direction that changed my fate. Otherwise, I would still be on a farm, probably driving a tractor. Um, and uh, that those experiences were really important. I mean, is that is that story true that as the kid, and I think as a kid on a farm, there are levels of excitement and interest. There's no TV, so you don't have any perspective of the outside world. As a kid on the farm, the coolest job is to be the tractor driver um, because it, it's the least physical of the jobs. I mean, it's an exhausting thing, but you're not having to dig trenches and do that kind of farm labor. That was your aspiration as a kid was to be the tractor driver. That would be the height of ambition uh, within that particular system. But my story is an improbable one, a story of possibility and a story of change, and a story of opportunity and optimism. So I escaped that particular fate, as it were, but I took uh, from that experience lessons that were imprinted on my mind, hated poverty because I had lived in poverty, abject poverty, 
hated the deprivation of dignity because that is what uh, the apartheid oppression uh, of the times uh, dealt on in particular black people. I also hated a life of insignificance uh, and, a, and a mundane life, which I would have had to have prosecuted for the rest of my life. So I looked for significance. I looked for an opportunity uh, to, to make a difference, an opportunity to win and win big. That's why Investec provides yeah. uh, for me and the 10,000 colleagues that we have a platform on which uh, we can build and make a difference. I mean, Kwakwa is hardly the epicenter of the world. It's hardly, for, for most people, um, a place that, would, that you would get a big break. How did the big break happen in Kwakwa? Education became uh, the escape valve uh, for most of us. So as I said, uh, I had three months to go into uh, the farm labor system, so escaped that, uh, even though homelands were equally very oppressive. Essentially, they were meant to divide Africans on the basis mm. of tribal affiliation on the one hand, and secondly, they were created to be labor reserves um, as it were, but there was at least a system of education that was on the go, not very good in any way, because as you know, Bantu education was uh, what had been designed for Africans uh, uh, through the apartheid uh, system. But I got an education, was able to um, uh, get through to metric, then went through to, to Forte to study mathematics. When did, you know, when did you know that you were better than most people at maths? I mean, for Mark Barnes, former chief executive of the post office, he knew at seven, or his teachers knew at seven, that he had a good maths brain. Did somebody identify your maths brain young? Look, within the uh, Bantu education system, there was very little guidance. Literally, you move from one grade to another, and uh, I happened to do well. I had teachers that encouraged uh, me, and uh, some of them led by example in terms of dedication and hard work. And you learn as a kid from those examples and uh, you move from one grade to another and at a point uh, doors open when you have ability and you uh, partner that ability with commitment dedication uh, and application so uh, as doors open got to uh, to uh, the university of forte ultimately got to berkeley um, uh, in the usa uh, from then on i think the extent of my success was largely dependent on the application, yeah. uh, the uh, desire to dream and, uh, and, and to build big. I mean, you, you play down getting to Berkeley. I mean, but you do get an MSc, you do get your uh, BSc honors in mathematics at Fortaire. You then get your MA in mathematics at Berkeley in California, I mean, which is no insignificant achievement. You come back, you do an MBA at WITS. Where do you go? Where, how do you utilize that, if, that MBA as a springboard? Because at the time you're doing that MBA, it wasn't as common a qualification as it is today, not undermining the MBAs, they're hard work. But, I mean, fewer people had MBAs back in those days. Yeah, decided that uh, I wouldn't want to uh, spend the rest of my life teaching mathematics. Because you did teach, didn't you? Yeah, at, at university, yeah. So yeah. as valuable as that was, decided that was not what I wanted to do. Uh, so I took a, a detour into business through an MBA. So 91, 92, uh, went out full-time uh, to study, and given one's mathematical background, it was easier to go into the world of finance because one had uh, a natural inclination uh, for finance. So joined at the time RMB um, in their trading division, supported uh, the trading desk, essentially uh, modeling um, uh, uh, instruments uh, like, as an example, modeling 
interest rate curves for the for the trading desk. So uh, obviously from there, uh, got uh, some experience and uh, over time went into the private equity world, uh, which uh, allowed me to be a business owner, to be an entrepreneur and to get a sense that one could actually build a business, make a difference. And at a point, Investec became a partner in my own business. And uh, as an entrepreneur, uh, being a client of Investec in the mid-90s, I was treated with the level of respect as a small business owner and the dedication of the best resources that I began to appreciate and like uh, the business. And over time, uh, when I uh, went from one business into another, Investec became a partner uh, of mine and we had lots of fun, built businesses, took over uh, businesses on the on the stock exchange, listed some businesses uh, in the process. So it's been a long road with Investec from the middle 90s um, until now. It's an amazing relationship that successful people build with an Investec. I mean, Investec, I mean, one of my favorite Stephen Kosev quotes is we break China for the client break China. Um, you know, all-nighters. I mean, the Aspen deal, the creation of Aspen and um, sitting, uh, Glenberger and others sitting until two, three in the morning, going through the fine detail and um, guys waking up at six o'clock in the morning to come back to the discussion table to really get deals done. That culture seems like it persists to this day. I mean, I don't think you'd have it any other way. I think early on in the uh, building of Investic, the founding generation realized that our culture and values uh, formed an essential signature and a competitive difference for investing. So that DNA is what makes us successful and different, and we guard it very jealously. So as we go through a transition from the founders into the next generation of management, we are particularly careful to retain that DNA, that culture, and create an environment where our people are motivated, inspired to do more than uh, would be required of them. Uh, we create an environment